Hello, people of God. Pastor Vic Borden from Red Bridge Baptist Church greeting you on this uh, Mother's Day Sunday morning. Trust all is going well. We are once again online for this worship service. I hope that uh, that's growing to a close and one day soon we'll be able to gather together as the people of God at uh, Red Bridge Baptist. But until then, we continue on. And I want to bring a message this morning from the Gospel of John, John chapter 3. You know the chapter well, I'm sure. But John chapter 3, a message that I've titled, Comparing Physical Birth with Spiritual Birth. You see, every person in the history of the world is in one of two families. And both families are headed by a man named Adam. Scripture teaches this. The first Adam, going back to the Garden of Eden, was formed of the dust of the ground. He was of the earth. The second Adam, as Jesus is described, is the Lord from heaven. The first Adam was responsible for death. The second Adam is the Lord of life. In order to be a part of the family of the first Adam or of the second Adam, one has to be born into those families. And so Mother's Day, by definition, is a recognition of birth. And so it's a good time to compare and contrast physical birth with spiritual birth. Uh, A mother has the profound sense of love and concern for her offspring. And it's obvious when you you look at any any, uh, animal in the animal kingdom, uh, we'd rather face a, a fierce terrorist than a mama bear whose cubs are threatened. In almost all cases, a mother will risk her own life to care for her offspring. But That only speaks of physical um, birth. I'd argue that a godly woman has even a greater burden for the spiritual welfare of her own children. And so, I want us to look this morning at the illustration Jesus made between physical birth and spiritual birth so that this Mother's Day you'll come away with, with a keen and a fresh understanding of the, the seriousness of this subject, the gravity of this subject, and what the Lord has done to provide not only the first birth, the physical birth, but even more importantly, the second birth, spiritual birth. John chapter 3, if you'd make your way there, let me get my specs on so I can see a little bit. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. John 3 and verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do, do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or of a truth, I say unto to thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And that, that is referencing physical birth, born of the water, amniotic fluid, it's physical birth, and born of the Spirit, spiritual birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not, don't be amazed, that I say unto thee, you must be born again. Verse 8. The wind blows where it wills, and thou hearest the sound of it, but canst not tell from where it cometh and where it goeth. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a teacher of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that which we do know and testify to that which we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the, wilderness, the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world. And men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved or made evident. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his de deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Nicodemus was a well-known religious leader in his day, a prominent leader, in fact, probably a member of the Sanhedrin, the 71 men who ruled uh, religious life in that day. And he came to Jesus. Well, why did he come to seek out Jesus? Apparently something was churning inside of him because he said, no one can do what you do if God is not uh, abiding in and on that person. So he knew something was different about Jesus. He, he wanted to discover what that something was. Nicodemus did not openly come inquiring about eternal life, about salvation, but about a, a vital, what it meant to have a vital relationship with God Almighty. But Jesus knew his heart, and he spoke to the issue of eternal life. Jesus dealt with this religious man as an unbeliever who had the need for everlasting life. Now, you might say, preacher, this man was already religious. He already had an, a knowledge of God. He even already had uh, a sense of respect for God. And he had a desire for truth. 
Yet he had the need for new life. He had the need for not just the physical birth, which everyone experiences who's alive, who's ever been alive, but the need for spiritual birth. That is what he needed. That is what Jesus addressed. He was a member of the first Adam's family. He needed to be a member of the second Adam's family. He had been born once. Jesus said, you need to be born again, born spiritually, born from above. And folks, lost people aren't just a little bit bad off. They're not just a little bit sin sick. The lost are spiritually dead and completely void of any spiritual life. They need a new nature. They need to be resurrected spiritually and have life in Christ. So Jesus went right to the heart of the matter. He didn't tiptoe around the issue at all. He knew what was in the heart of man, and he wanted Nicodemus to recognize that merely having a good feeling toward Jesus, saying, we know that you're an amazing teacher, that was not going to be sufficient. Just acknowledging him as that does not equate to everlasting life. Nothing short of an utter, complete transformation would suffice for this man to ever uh, walk the halls of heaven. There isn't any entering into heaven. Jesus made it very clear, except through the new birth. Just as physical birth is when we start the clock on earthly life, spiritual birth is required to begin eternal life. And so I want to ask you, do you have spiritual life? That is, have you been born again? Is Christ in your heart? Is he near and dear to you? Well, each step of physical procreation is a picture of spiritual, uh, of physical procreation is a picture of spiritual redemption. That is, physical life, physical birth, pictures or portrays what is needed in spiritual redemption. And Jesus used this as an illustration. So I want us to focus on what actually takes place uh, spiritually by way of comparison with the physical birth. Trust that you're following that. The first thing that we know that takes place with physical, before physical birth takes place, is there has to be a conception. And scripture is clear that God designed a man and a woman to come together as a husband and wife, and that the two shall be one flesh. And the greatest expression of that one flesh is that the man donates his genetic nature, and the woman donates her genetic nature, and those natures come together and form one. That is, form the offspring. Truly an amazing thing that God has done. Uh, The conception then of physical life is designed by God to be an expression, the ultimate expression of a lifelong love between a married couple. Well, since salvation was designed unilaterally in the heart of God, and it is wholly his work, it follows that God, uh, in fact, must come upon uh, the, uh, the individual for that spiritual conception to take place. And it begs the question, well, why? Why is it that 
the seed of spiritual life was planted in my spirit by the Lord. Is it because uh, he knew how deserving that I was or that I would be a really good catch for the kingdom? No, no, a million times no. Redemption was conceived by God in eternity past. Didn't have anything to do with me. Salvation is of the Lord, Jonah 2.9 tells us. In fact, God chose those who would be his own. And when did he do that? Well, 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says, God hath from the beginning. Now that speaks of eternity past. Uh, That's the only uh, way that we understand it is relative to a clock, to a calendar. And so way back yonder, in eternity past, God chose you to salvation. The Apostle Paul told the Thessalonian believers. In, in fact, um, 2 Timothy 1.9 supports this very uh, principle when it says, God hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, that is, his sovereign capacity to choose, which was given us in Christ Jesus. When? When he saw how good I would be? When he saw what a catch I would be? No. Before the world began, he determined to set his love upon those who would ultimately be his children. And so, in order to to have physical birth, in order to have physical life, there must first be the conception. Similarly, there must be that seed that would be planted uh, in the spirit of that lost person before there will ever be spiritual life. And God unilaterally does that. The offspring, think about this, the offspring of a husband and a wife doesn't have any uh, prerogative in those, uh, those two natures coming together, doesn't have any say-so, doesn't have a will uh, associated with that. Similarly, how can one who is spiritually dead uh, raise a hand and say, uh, I think I'm going to choose the Lord? No, the word of God is very clear that he has chosen his own from eternity past. There must be a conception. And then there must be a quickening or there will be a quickening. Now, the idea of quickening is you'll you'll understand this before the age of modern medicine, a woman really only knew for sure that she was carrying a viable baby when she experienced quickening. That is the the movement of life. And that's exactly what verse 8 says uh, in our in our text. It says that the wind blows where it wills. And similarly, so the Spirit moves upon the hearts of the lost according to His will. He blows upon the hearts of the lost, waking them up just like a woman who is carrying a child somewhere in those early months. She senses a movement. She senses life. There's a quickening. There, uh, there, there's an awakening uh, uh, from the baby to her, letting the mother know that there is one inside of her. It's clear this analogy of spiritual birth 
when you consider Ephesians 2.1, it says, you hath he quickened or made alive, awakened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And so everyone in the family of the first Adam have, are, are dead spiritually. If you're only in the family of the first Adam, you must be in the family of the second Adam, the Lord from heaven, in order to have spiritual life. And so there's a quickening. It's a waking up to the reality of your situation. And what is the reality of your situation? That I'm lost, that I'm dead, that I'm condemned, that I stand in, in, in um, line for judgment if the Lord does not intervene. And thank the Lord, praise the Lord, he does in fact intervene and he uh, sends that, uh, that wake-up call uh, into the, the, the dead spirit of that lost person and that person wakes up to the reality of his or her need and of Christ being the one who will save. You know, Charles Wesley, uh, the great hymn writer, founder of the Methodist Church, he and his brother John wrote about all who have experienced this born-again uh, born experience uh, that Jesus referenced here in John 3. And in my favorite hymn, in, in all of uh, hymnology, and can it be, he wrote this line. He said, long my imprisoned spirit lay. For a long time, my spirit was in, in prison, fast bound in sin and nature's night. In other words, I was in the family of the first Adam. There wasn't any light. It was all darkness spiritually. Thine eye, God, you diffused a quickening ray. That is, a lightning bolt shot out from the, from the throne of God. And Charles Wesley says, I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. In other words, I saw my condition for the first time that I was in shackles, that I was fettered, that I was in a straitjacket spiritually, and, and there was no getting out. He went on to say, my chains fell off. Well, he didn't take off his chains. He didn't wake himself up. The Lord in his mercy did that. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Oh my, how I relate to, to that testimony and to this um, theological concept and doctrine of quickening as a 20-year-old, living like an absolute uh, hellion. All of a sudden, out of the blue, I was gripped with the judgment that was to follow gripped with the condemnation of my life and my longing to be saved, to be forgiven, to be born again. As Jesus said, you must be. So there is conception. It's got to be a seed available to be planted. And of course, God has provided that. He's the one who chose his own in eternity past. But then in the course of time, there's a quickening. That is, you come to the awareness of your need. Thirdly, there is 
a gestation period. There is a time for the human physical life, nine month, my nine month period of time of preparation in order for there to be a healthy birth. And spiritually, once a person has been awakened, quickened to his or her need, the gestation time or the preparation is going to vary depending upon each person. God awakens and then he prepares the one uh, for spiritual life. Now, what takes place during that preparation time? Well, uh, the need to repent and believe. So repentance and faith are, are uh, part of the, the machinations, that is the working of the spirit during that gestation period before there's actually spiritual birth that takes place. In fact, um, John 6, 44, Jesus said, no one can come to me except the Father who has sent me draw him. And so there's, you've been quickened, you've been made aware of your situation, and then there's a drawing, a tugging at your spirit, uh, pulling you toward the Lord, reminding you, showing you your own condition of being lost and, uh, uh, and unholy and uh, with judgment uh, ready to fall on you and the mercy of Christ at the cross. And so during that gestation period, you, um, you are being drawn in to repent and to believe. In fact, that just shows the goodness of God in Romans 2, 4. It says it's the goodness of God that leads you to repent. It's not the, it's not the harshness of God. If God were harsh, then he wouldn't have even provided a way. But God is infinite in his mercy. And he woke you up, or maybe he hasn't yet. Maybe now is the time you're sensing the stirring, just like Nicodemus did in our passage. The need, the stirring in your soul of the need to turn to him. In Acts 11, 18, said God gives repentance unto life. Of course, that's spiritual life. And in Philippians 1, 29, it says that uh, it's given to the people to believe in Christ. So repentance and faith are gifts. I can't conjure up my own repentance, not repentance toward God that's genuine. I can't manufacture my own faith. It is a gift of God. You want proof? Well, Ephesians 2 and verse 8 very clearly speaks this. Now look at this very carefully. Uh, and uh, those at Redbridge Baptist have heard me share this a number of times in the past. But just by way of reminder, Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace, God's grace, his unmerited favor, you didn't deserve it, are you saved through faith. That is the, the vehicle which delivers you into the family of God is faith. Notice and that is not of yourselves. What is not of yourselves? Grace? Oh no, grace is never of yourselves. And the immediate antecedent, that is the subject right before this particular um, indicator here, that is talking about faith. So it says, for by grace you say through faith, and the faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And so even the capacity to believe 
it has been given you as a gift from God. That takes place during the gestation period. The, the uh, growing in understanding of turning from your own way, turning from your religion, turning from self-righteousness, and being cast wholly on the grace of God and saying, yes, Lord, I believe. The only reason you could say, yes, Lord, I believe, save me, forgive me, is because he granted you, graciously granted to you the desire to turn from your own way and turn to him. And then in physical birth, following gestation, after about nine months, there's labor. There's labor that takes place and physical uh, labor, that is labor during physical birth, it's part of the curse. Genesis 3 says that the curse consists really of two main ways that it plays out. One for the man, one for the woman. The woman is going to have pains of labor and the man is going to, ha uh, is going to have, uh, the man is going to have pains of labor and the woman is going to have labor pains. Spiritually speaking, labor pains certainly must be analogous to the weight of condemnation. I can remember at age 20, at the point of, just at the point of turning to Christ and receiving him, I felt the weight of the world, spiritually speaking, because of my sin. I wasn't depressed. As a fact, everything was going quite well in my life. But the heaviness gripped my soul. I, it was laborious. I was being weighed down with the penalty of sin. I believe scripture teaches that all who come to Christ, even though we're chosen in eternity past, do so because each really true desi truly desires to do so. Well, that's because uh, he causes us to desire. He causes us to long from being out from underneath the condemnation that our text in John 3 addressed and to be free in him, to walk in the light, to experience his love, to know that I have everlasting life. So there will be labor. And then with physical birth, next comes the actual delivery. And this is what Jesus was emphasizing. He said that a lost person had to actually be born again. He had to be born from above. And Nicodemus, of course, thought that he meant yet another physical birth. Now think about this. What does a baby do during the physical delivery? The baby's not calling the shots. The baby's not calculating anything, figuring things out, working a strategy or any such thing. The baby simply yields to what God has already designed. The baby doesn't make it happen. He or she surrenders to the principles of delivery which God has put in place. And so, spiritually speaking, it's analogous to that. You can't birth yourself. You can only cooperate with God's plan. Well, preacher, that begs the question, doesn't it? What is God's plan then for my spiritual birth? I'm glad you asked that. Because Romans 10, 13 says, 
For whosoever put your own name in there shall call upon the name of the Lord. Of course, the context there is talking about the Lord Jesus and what he did, the gospel. That person shall be saved. Now, calling upon him, it certainly is, is saying, it intimates, that you're calling upon him genuinely. You actually desire to have everlasting life. You really do want to be forgiven and saved. Because God knows one's heart. He knows my heart. He knows your heart. And so those who genuinely call upon the name of the Lord, in fact, shall be saved. It's crying out to God to save you. It's what, uh, it's what Luke 18 uh, and verse 13 says. Uh, the, the, um, the man who cried out to the Lord, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so it's calling upon him to save you, to make you his very own child. And so, there's the delivery, and now you're physically born, talking about in that realm, in the first Adam's family, spiritually born into the second Adam's family, you must be born again. But there's one other component that is true with either of these two types of birth, and that is, there is a resemblance. There's a resemblance. A baby resembles his or her parents. Now, maybe not as much as the next guy, but the bottom line is there's the genetic material from, from dad and the ge genetic material from mom, and they line up and they uh, bond, if you will, they fuse, and a new DNA brand new DNA, never been before been procreated and never will be again exactly like that. The offspring is the nature of his or her parents. Well, similarly, um, spiritually, those who are born again have the nature of their heavenly father. That is, we are created in righteousness and true holiness. The book of Ephesians tells us if we're in the family of the first Adam, we have the heritage of death. Those who are, have the nature of the second Adam, we have the heritage of life. Now, let me share with you a, a compelling verse that teaches that depending upon which family you're in, there will be a resemblance. Oh, not a carbon copy. You're at lost people. Most people are not as evil as they could be, not as corrupt as they could be. And, and saved people don't always act and follow the Lord in as faithful a way as uh, each should. But there is a family resemblance. And that's taught in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. Look at this. 1 John 3, toward the end of your New Testament. My favorite book in the New Testament is 1 John. And it's written so that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13 tells us. And in chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, whosoever, you can put your own name in there, is born of God, that is, has been born again, 
has the nature of the second Adam, the Lord Jesus, does not commit sin. You say, well, I still sin, preacher. I guess I don't know the Lord. The idea here is, and the newer translations use the word practice or habitually, um, does not habitually sin. It's that idea, it's the present tense verb. Those who are born of God do not habitually live in sin as a lifestyle. Why? For his seed, that's the word in the Greek New Testament for God's genetic code. His DNA is stamped on the spirits and in the spirits of all of his children. His seed, God's seed, remains in that person who is born of God and he cannot I forgot, forgot to put the word sin there. He cannot sin. He cannot live a life of habitual sin because he is born of God. You say, well, what if I choose to? No, you can't. You can't change your DNA. You can't change your physical DNA. You will be like your mom and dad all, all of your earthly days. Similarly, you cannot change your spiritual DNA. You see, before I came to Christ at age 20, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. Little bothered me. I mean, I had a conscience, certainly I'm teaching on that on Wednesday evenings, but I wasn't occupied with whether I sinned, how much I sinned, how I sinned, or any such thing. But at the point of salvation coming up, May 25th, of this year, it will be 43 years ago when I was active duty in the United States Navy. Since then, oh, I can still sin. I can still be unfaithful to the Lord. I just can't get away with it. I am hounded and hunted and haunted by the Lord until I confess and repent and turn from that way. Why? Because I cannot live in sin as a lifestyle because his seed, his DNA is in me and I belong to him. This is how you know that you belong to him um, of whether or not you truly resemble who the Lord is. And so I ask you, Try on this and see if this fits you. Do you, when you, when you were born physically, you had the nature of man. And you came out into this world hungering and thirsting after nourishment. If you were healthy, no one had to talk you into it. No one had to convince you. In fact, if someone stood in your way, you would let out... Uh, uh, lots of squawking as a little infant because you knew what you wanted and it was your nature to desire milk. Well, similarly, Scripture says that those who are born spiritually have God's nature and we will hunger and thirst after righteousness. Do you long for the Lord? Not, not, not putting on something, not passing a New Year's resolution, not trying to be religious. Do you, in the quietness, the solitude of your heart, have 
a longing, a hunger, a thirst for the things of God. If you say, preacher, I can go a long time and, uh, and not be particularly bothered or occupied with really seeking and pursuing the Lord. That ought to be a warning. That ought to be a wake-up call. And in fact, if that's the case, I call you even right now, I plead with you even now to confess your rebellion from the Lord. Call upon Christ to save you, to forgive you, to make you his own. Feel free, please, send us a note in the mail at Redbridge Baptist Church or an email. Let us know how we can help you spiritually. And we want to be responsive to that and share the love of Christ with any who are in need of him. Lord, I'm so...